You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. We all have elderly patients with insomnia in our practices. What are the common causes and how best should we treat it? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jennifer Lynch, a board-certified neurologist and sleep medicine specialist who practices at the Farrell Duncan Clinic in Springfield, Missouri. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, Dr. Lynch, please talk to us about insomnia in the older patient. Uh, number one, how common is it? The problem is actually very common. Probably 25 to 30% of the above 65 population has insomnia. And if we look within specific disease states, oftentimes it's 50 to 60% of the patients uh, in the older population that will have insomnia. There are a lot of medical causes uh, that can contribute to this. Basically, if you think of something that increases with age, you're going to find that it increases insomnia as well. So that cardiovascular disease, dementia, and any uh, degenerative disorder, cerebrovascular disease such as stroke, peripheral vascular disease, reflux, urinary incontinence that's going to cause awakening during the night, Parkinson's disease with its motor symptoms as well as its medications, all of these are going to cause that. People have increased breathing problems so that COPD and asthma increase, this is going to increase problems during sleep as well. Arthritis, chronic pain conditions such as fibromyalgia, renal failure, hepatic problems, and even nocturnal epilepsy, which is underrecognized but also increases with age. All of these things will cause insomnia in the older patient. And how about psychiatric reasons for insomnia? Well, most common is really going to be depression. There are a lot of lifestyle changes that increase People retire, their loved ones die, their friends die. They've got a change in what they were able to do before and what they can do now. People tend to be more anxious. They don't have the means to change their financial situation that they used to. Alcoholism doesn't go away with age, and neither does substance abuse. These problems uh, tend to be different in the older individual. They tend to abuse more prescription drugs as opposed to street medications, but they're still present, and these cause significant problems with insomnia. Now, how do you go about treating insomnia in the older patient? Well, I think you need to look to the primary cause as much as you can. Obviously, there are changes with aging alone so that sleep is more fragmented. And actually, if you ask an older individual about sleep, they will tell you that they don't sleep as well. If it's not necessarily accompanied by any problems, excessive daytime somnolence, they're waking their bed partner, you really can provide some gentle reassurance that there are some changes and that mild changes are acceptable. When they have those consequences of excessive daytime somnolence, you need to try to figure out why is that? Is this because medication that they may be taking? They may be on antidepressants, anticholinergics, they may be on medications that keep them awake or disrupt their sleep during the nighttime and have subsequent effects. Or a sleeping pill that they're taking may simply cause hangover so that they think they're sleeping better, but they're actually feeling worse during the day. So getting to the underlying cause is important, and that is actually a variable list of causes. And whether this is related to any of those medical issues that we just discussed or whether it's related to a psychiatric cause, Again, simple techniques oftentimes are best, so that looking into their sleep hygiene is very effective. One of the most effective means is really sleep restriction. 
once people start sleeping poorly with age, they start making adjustments that may not be helpful for them. They spend longer time in bed. They take naps during the day. They develop some poor sleep hygiene. If we simply sleep restrict them, they will pay the consequences in the short term of getting sleepier during the day, but they will improve their sleep efficiency and markedly improve. Cognitive behavioral therapies such as sleep relaxation techniques and the Bootsen technique where people are told to get out of bed if they're not feeling sleepy after about 15 to 30 minutes are actually very useful. People tend to develop sleep onset associations so that whatever they're doing when they fall asleep, they need to have that recreated when they fall asleep again. People have developed habits of reading books and watching TV in bed, doing things that should normally keep them awake, and they're difficult to recreate in the middle of the night. So cleaning up sleep hygiene is often very effective and in large studies is as effective as any of our medications. I try to avoid medications if I can, but unfortunately it's time-consuming, and a lot of patients really want a quick answer in the form of a pill. So if you find that their insomnia is related to pain, you may adjust their pain medications or institute physical therapy to loosen up those muscles and treat the joints. If you find that they're having sleep-related breathing problems, such as nocturnal asthma, tuning up their COPD or asthma treatment may make significant headway there. Surprisingly, while sleep-related problems in the elderly increase, a lot of this is due to medical problems, and good attention to that will make significant improvements. Otherwise, I tend to use medications that are going to be safer, uh, have less addictive properties, fewer drug-drug interactions. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals, I'm Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jennifer Lynch. We are discussing insomnia in the elderly. Dr. Lynch, I find it really interesting that the last thing on your list is medications to treat insomnia, where uh, I think probably for most physicians, it's the first instinct is to write a prescription out when they hear about insomnia. Well, I'm not going to be the most uh, lucrative uh, neurologist out there for that reason, but I think I'm actually very successful. It is a time-consuming thing, but actually when we look at long-term benefits, they are greater with cognitive behavioral therapies than they are with medications. Unfortunately, education is very hard for us to provide. It is great if if there is an available support person in the clinic that can be taught to educate people on these issues. Certainly, I have a lot of handouts that I provide in large print for the elderly patient that hopefully are helpful with this. And a lot of times, just gentle reassurance is good. So if you do need to look at a medicine for insomnia in the elderly, what what do you think about? Well, I try to look if their problem is related to sleep onset or sleep maintenance. So that's somebody who has a difficult time falling asleep, but once they get to sleep, has no problems, then we have a lot more choices. One of these would be Remelteon, a medication that shortens sleep latency but has not a significant effect on sleep maintenance. If they're having a lot of arousals, that wouldn't be a good choice. Other medications that will shorten sleep latency would be any of the Z drugs, which would be Ambien, Sonata, and Lunesta. 
And occasionally the benzodiazepine medications, uh, a lot of patients are already habituated to these and sort of need to continue those, even though that's not my first choice. Again, you look to the underlying cause of the insomnia and sometimes things that we don't think of as truly soporific or sleep-inducing end up being helpful. If they've got depression, for instance, trazodone uh, has been helpful, and some other antidepressants can be helpful for that population as well. I hear a fair amount of patients and, and even a fair amount of physicians that seem to prefer diphenhydramine or Benadryl, Tylenol PM, different brands. How do you feel about that in the elderly population? Well, as long as they don't have urinary retention or significant orthostatic hypotension issues, then anticholinergics sometimes are relatively safe. I know we think of Benadryl as an antihistamine, but actually it's an equally potent anticholinergic medication. It does work for very short term, but it has pretty quick habituation. So somebody that tells you that they're taking this every night is relatively unlikely to still be getting benefit from it. It is cheap and over-the-counter and is certainly used very commonly, and some people swear by it. So I do occasionally use it, especially for the very intermittent person who has difficulty. Now, what about alcohol? Oh, alcohol is used. It's not something we recommend. If you could put an IV drip and use it for the duration of the night, it might work relatively well. But uh, just like any other medication or drug of abuse, you would induce tolerance and it wouldn't be as effective. We do find a lot of people that use alcohol. The problem with alcohol is that it induces a rebound insomnia. And so while people may fall asleep, then they tend to wake up and have problems getting back to sleep later in the night. Also, alcohol has a very significant effect with respiratory depression so that somebody with sleep apnea or nocturnal COPD, alcohol is a very bad choice. It also tends to exacerbate depression, which tends to exacerbate causes of insomnia. What are the consequences if we don't treat insomnia in the elderly patient? Oh, they are many. You can think of what happens with yourself if you've had a very bad night's sleep. Well, the first thing that happens is you don't pay attention very well the next day so that people are more prone to make errors, have decreased work efficiency, slowed response time, increased risk of accidents. Uh, they just don't get as much done. If they've got dementia, their memory is even more impaired. Pain threshold is directly affected by sleep. If we do not get good sleep, we complain of increased pain. And good studies have been done to, to verify this so that people end up thinking they've got depression, dementia, fibromyalgia, and they use more healthcare resources. Actually, there was an interesting study that simply recorded EEG for one night and followed patients for a 1,000 weeks, so nearly 20 years. And they noticed that people who took longer than half an hour to go to sleep or slept less than 80% were about twice as likely to die over the next 20 years. Wow. So not sleeping really can kill you. Yes, it really can. Huh. So I'm not sure I understand the 80%. What is that again? That's a sleep efficiency. That's a ratio of the time that you sleep compared to the time that you spend in bed. So that if you're in bed 10 hours and sleep 8 of those hours, that's an 80% efficiency. In the little bit of time that we have left, can you speak to why or when we should refer our elderly patients to a sleep specialist like yourself? If your initial first or second try has not been effective, I think is a reason enough. 
if the patient wishes to have that referral made is another good reason. If they're on a lot of medications and you're very concerned about drug-drug interactions and don't have a lot of knowledge about those drug-drug interactions, I think that's very reasonable. Depending upon the nature of the problems, you may choose to send them to a pulmonology sleep specialist, a psychiatry sleep specialist, or a neurology sleep specialist, so that somebody with bad COPD should certainly see a pulmonologist if able, whereas an insomnia with depression may do better with a psychiatrist, and Parkinson's-related dystonia may do best with a neurologist. I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Jennifer Lynch. We've been discussing insomnia in the elderly. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.